0: wearing a sweater that was selected for you by the people in this room from a pile of stuff.
1: Give me a full ballerina skirt and
0: a hint of saloon and I'm on board. Mm. I can't go back. Welcome to the She Became Visible podcast. I'm your host, Renee Steelman. This podcast is my story. It's your story. It's our story. It's all the stories of all the women who one day knew that it was time to remember who they were, who they are, and stand up and be seen. Welcome to She Became Visible. You guys, I have an amazing guest today. And I know I say that every time, but that's because I only get amazing guests. And I have to start out, I'm going to start this podcast out today. It's March 15th. Is that the Ides of March? Is March 15th the Ides of March? First? Oh, the first is? Okay. I don't know what, I, uh, obviously I'm not a Greek scholar. Um, I feel like March 15th is significant for some reason. I'm making that up in my head. Anyway, um, it's March 15th, 2022. And um, I have done, this will be my fifth podcast. And I haven't published any of them yet because I have been in the process of getting the intro and all that stuff down. But um, uh, one of the things that I also haven't done, I've interviewed some really fabulous women who have um, described their they're enlightening when they, when they realize that, wait, I have a purpose. I, I, uh, people started actually noticing me and I have a reason to be on this planet and all of those great things. Um, but I have, but I haven't really talked about myself very much. And so that's what I'm going to do a little bit today, especially because I have a fabulous life coach sitting here. So I might just take advantage and get some free therapy, but anyway, (laughs) so about, um, When I was 12 years old, my family joined the um, Mormon Church. It's now referred to as the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which it was in the past, but most people just referred to it as the Mormon Church, including the church referred to it as the Mormon Church. Um, We had songs in our youth programs that said, I'm a Mormon, yes I am, if you want to study a Mormon, I'm a living specimen. So the church called itself the Mormon Church. Um, But the current prophet of the church... Uh Claire in I think '93, that just stuck in his craw. Just he didn't like that at all. And he he gave a talk and he talked about how we shouldn't call ourselves Mormons, that nicknames are of the devil, and that we should truly call ourselves the Church of Jesus Christ um, of Latter-day Saints. I think he wants to skip the Latter-day Saints even and just wants to stick with the Church of Jesus Christ. Um, but the current prophet, who was the prophet at that time, kind of up afterwards and was like, yeah, well, you know what, the Mormon church has a good reputation and it's never said in in um, any kind of um, malicious way. And we're just going to stick with it because everybody knows who it is. But once the guy that is the current prophet was finally put in charge, he was like, oh, I'm doing things my way now. And so he went on a a rampage to get rid of the name Mormon and now have everybody you know call us the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints which no one's going to say that okay it's too long. Anyway, my parents joined this church when I was 12 years old and um so I didn't grow up in in this church but in a way I did. I also didn't grow up in Utah, so I wasn't surrounded by the culture bubble. Um I think my friend and I were the only two Mormons in our in our school. So I and I also have a family that was not Mormon. My aunts and my uncles were Methodist. And, and so it wasn't something that I was completely swimming in. Um, but as a 12-year-old girl, um, the missionary that baptized me was really cute. And that was a big part of my testimony. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and then they had some great programs back in the 60s. I mean, they had, it was a more autonomous organization back then before correlation went in and ruined everything. Um, so I grew up in the camp, what they call the Camelot era of, um, David O. McKay was the prophet. And he was even a little bit on the, on the radical side. He wore a cream colored suit and his hair was a little bit long. And he was just a kind of a kind guy who he would kind of let people be who they were. And, and, uh, so that's what I grew up with and and, um as I progress, I won't go into the whole long story, but as I you know did everything that a good member of the church should do, I got married young um, I married in a temple ceremony, which um, guaranteed us that our family would live and be together for time and all eternity. I had a large family um I had six children. I would have probably had eight. No doubt I would have had eight if my youngest hadn't been a complicated Ah, uh, birth and resulting in a disabled child. Um so I followed all of the rules, but I also was blessed with a the ability to kind of see through bullcrap. and but I never took it as anything malicious or anything. I just kind of was like, "Oh, you crazy people, Why do you think these things? And it was okay. I was okay with it. i I there were things that would happen, and I would go, Okay, that's not true, but whatever, you guys are crazy. And I would go on, and it never really bothered me. Um, when the pandemic hit, um, I was really relieved because, uh, as I said, I raised six children, and with my youngest being disabled, getting six children to church was always an event, and it was very stressful, and I did it on my own because my husband was always in positions of authority. And so he just got himself up, went to church, and spent the whole day there with his boys' club. And I was wrangling children and, but that was my job. And I understood that. And I, you know, and I like being in charge to tell you the truth. So I was kind of glad he wasn't there to mess things up. Um, So I never really held any animosity towards it. It was kind of like, oh good. You're not here. Bossing people around, go, go to a meeting. I'll get these kids to church. We'll do it. We're we're good. Um, But I started hearing some things and I was like, what? That, that can't be true. And you know, you only have to hear one or two historical things before you start going down a rabbit hole. And I heard some things, and then I ordered a book off Amazon called Rough Stone Rolling. And it was written by a very uh, devout, still active, uh, recognized in the church man. Um, And so I thought, well, this is a safe book to read because he's not an ex-Mormon or an anti-Mormon. He's a historian. And I read the book, and the whole time I I was reading, I, I was just gasping like, what? They did what? I've never heard that. And so that, of course, led me down the road. Anyway, it only took me about a year and a half before I I feel like the veil was lifted from my eyes. I saw the organization as a corporation and not a religion. I saw the patriarchy. I saw the false doctrine that um, completely marginalized um, people of color and women and I realized that I had been duped. That's my feeling. So I reached out on um, on social media, and I found this Facebook group of um, women who had also left the church. And Wendy is the administrator of this Facebook page. I saw that she um, lived in Arizona, and I messaged her, and I said, "I would love to meet with you." And she did. I, mean, I couldn't believe it. It's not like she doesn't have anything else going on. We yeah. met and we talked um, over lunch. And um, since then, I've gone to some meetings and I've heard her speak publicly. And she just, she is just amazing. And her career has taken a, a little bit of a, a shift, not because of her own choice, but because of the church. I'll let her talk about that. But she is a life coach specifically coaching people who have left fundamental religions. And I'm going to assume, Wendy, that that isn't just a Mormon religion, that you also work with people in other high-demand religions. Is that correct? Obviously with Jehovah's Witness. Okay, which there is a lot of similarities as far as the complete devotion and uh, the asking, um, high-demand, time, talent, Mm -hmm. um, air, everything. So anyway, so Wendy, I'm going to let you talk a little bit more about who you are, how you came to be and about this fabulous service that you're doing because you are helping and it's not just specifically women or is it specifically women?
1: Oh no, no. It's,
0: I have about 50, 50 men and women. Okay. Which I think is interesting. Um, I follow another Facebook page where there are people who are what in what they call a mixed faith marriage, which is what I am in, where one member of the marriage is a true believing Mormon still, or they might be a true believing Jehovah Witness or a Fundamental Baptist or whatever. The other uh, partner in the marriage has left, and you know it's funny because any of you that have grown up in a any of the other Protestant, sects, Methodist Lutheran even Catholic, even Catholicism, um, I, you would probably go, I don't understand what the big deal is. I don't care if my wife goes to mass or if we have a Christmas tree or it's no big deal to me or a lot of families that are combination, maybe Jewish and Christian, they'll, they do Hanukkah and they do a Christmas tree. Seems to work okay. But when you have teachings that are very specific to your religion, which states that unless you do this, this, and this, you are damned you will not live in heaven you will not be with your family those are very structured specific doctrine uh and that's where we all get into trouble but anyway so wendy introduce yourself tell us about what you were doing before and then what happened and then what you're doing now
1: awesome i'm so honored to be with here on here with you renée this is a very cool podcast that you're doing um, and supporting women, I, I am very much an advocate for that. Even an advocate, advocate at times, activist, <laughs> activist. Okay, so before I was raised as seventh seventh generation LDS, Ugh. and so my my ancestors crossed the plains, and they were you know co- cohorts with Joseph Smith and Brigham Young, and kind of settled the western states in Wyoming and Utah. And my parents met at BYU and they got married in the temple and had six children and um, lived a very active LDS lifestyle, got baptized, got married in the temple and just um, continued all the traditions in that religion. And it pretty much lived in a bubble, even though we lived in in Arizona most of my life, it's still densely LDS. Mm -hmm. And so most of my friends were LDS and um, I just seems like that's what the world looked like. That was the lens in which I saw the entire world. And so I was very obedient. I was a people pleaser and achiever. And I wanted to be the best member of the church that I could. And so my senior year, I had all these dreams about going to Juilliard and being a dancer. And um, I didn't have too many opportunities to dance because my family wasn't affluent. And so I never had really any official dance lessons, but I had skill and talent. And when I didn't make the cut at BYU, which is the church school in in Utah, then it was time for plan B. And that was find a worthy priesthood holder and get married. And so um, in no delay, I was married at 18 the same year that I graduated from high school which is actually pretty common for women of my era at that time exactly. and immediately started having a family. and so when my daughter was born, I remember nursing her and have that kind of cosmic feeling when you look into deep into their eyes and you just, Think about the world and what kind of mom you want to be and what you want for her. And that's when all the doctrines kind of downloaded really heavy in me. And I realized that I needed to dig my heels in and live perfectly so that I wouldn't risk my my family going astray. I wanted everybody to be in heaven. And that's one of the the tricks in um, Mormonism is they tell you your family can be together forever Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. if they all believe in the same doctrine and none of them stray. Right. And so I wanted to be the perfect mom in that era. And I became a mom with her hair on fire with the gospel. And I was as toxic as hell. I was uh, a really troublesome situation with my perfectionism Mm -hmm. and it was ruining my relationship with my husband and my, I was just a toxic mom and I went to, figure out what is going wrong. Cause I'm living everything the church is telling me to do. And I have this miserable life and I can't get other people to comply. And I just want to save my family because the thought of not having them in the next life is just troubling me. And so um, that's when I went in to Uh, study about rapid eye technology which is a form of energy work and processes um, childhood traumas and accesses the subconscious part of the brain to release um, trap trauma and emotion and when i studied that i realized okay i'm going to go in and, and try this out and i went into a rapid eye technician and she just performed the most gracious most loving uh facilitation for me that I had never thought even existed. And it allowed me to be in a, such a vulnerable place. I could see my shadow side that I had been protecting my whole life and afraid of saying that maybe I wasn't perfect. <laughs> and so we did a lot of sessions together and I knew that's what I wanted to do for others is to hold that gracious space and to help them process their emotions and to be able to come into a balance with who they really were. And ironically, I stayed in the church for a good mm, twelve years after that. Wow. Yeah, I made I made it work um, until I started to write a book. I became so proficient at um, my skill, my craft, understanding the beliefs that that get trapped in the mind that start to affect the body on the physical level. And so I wrote the book, The Healing Questions Guide: Relevant Questions to Ask the Mind to Activate Healing in the Body. And so in writing that book, at the end of that book, I realized I asked myself the penetrating question, (laughs) what is it that causes contempt against the body? Because all of these symptoms that we have in the body, the emotional connection has to do with some form of contempt. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I said, man, what is the thing that caused contempt for me? And I thought as a child, it was, you know, envisioning. You know, a man that's supposed to be the most loving on the cross, dying a very bloody death and and being told that he did that for me Mm -hmm. for something grotesque that I had either already done or would do in my future. Mm -hmm. And that that was the requirement in order for me to get back to a loving God. And I realized at that time that I started to think of myself as this really pathetic, awful person. And I was trying to make up for who I was at a soul level, <laughs> instead of embracing the truth of who I was as right. an infinite divine love loved being.
0: Well, and also I love how you how you talked about uh, recognizing the shadow side without hating yourself. And I think that's the problem. Is I remember saying to my husband, even golly, probably three years ago, I said I am so sick of constantly being called into repentance every meeting, every church meeting, yeah. every conference was repent, repent. Every day you need to repent. Every hour you need to be repenting. You need to be in constant prayer, asking for repentance. And I and I just said to him, I can't live like that. I can't be constantly sorry for my very existence. And I don't even know what I did, but evidently I should be sorry for something. And that has nothing to do with, with the humanity that we each are and have, and traits that we might have picked up um you know subliminally from our parents, our environment, or even just uh you know when you do Enneagram work and you find out that everybody has wonderful traits and a shadow side that we all need to recognize, and that doesn't mean we're bad or that we need to get on our knees and beg for forgiveness for being maybe a little too pretentious or a little too loud or a little bit too much of an extrovert, um, that does, like you say, does that warrant someone having to die for me? Uh, you know, and that whole concept, I remember even when I was going through my transition, um, I, I was still, you know, well, I do believe in God and I do believe in Jesus Christ, but I now know that Joseph Smith was a charlatan and, and, um, you know, um, lots of things. Um, But then I had to do more work outside of Mormonism and just search into Christianity to find the truths about where Christianity came from and where those thoughts came from. And listening to wonderful men like Richard Rohr, who is a a Franciscan Mm -hmm. priest who can, he can somehow balance his belief in Jesus Christ, but then acknowledge that who knows, whatever, you know, that we can, we can still have our doubts and we can still be um, a good Christian or whatever. And th- how that gave me the ability to go, oh, okay, this is, this is just a nice way to go about a life uh, thinking that you should be kind and loving to other people and serve one another and part of a community means we don't kick people out Um, we accept everybody and that's what, you know, I love it when people say, you know, I don't believe in the the church anymore, but I stay in for the community. And I'm like, that's the community you want to stay in? The one that, (laughs) the one that owns women that treats them like, you know, slaves and, and, uh, um, you know, the, uh, saloon owner who has the girls working for him. I mean, that's pretty much what we're told. I mean, unfortunately I grew up with Ezra Taft Benson, so I, I was told right away what my, entire purpose on earth was. But, um, you know, that's why I was telling, I was telling Wendy the other day, I, I have a hard time growing up at a black and white religion, which then made black and white parents who taught you black and white principles. It's very hard to switch that into gray areas when you, when your eyes are opened a little bit and you're trying to make space for other people and their beliefs. That's very hard, it's probably one of the hardest things for me after leaving the church is learning how to look at things through a gray lens and not a black and white lens. Um, But uh, like I said, when you've lived for, oh gosh, I don't want to tell my age, but I will. I mean, you know, 56, 57 years (laughs) with being told that this is black, this is white, this is good, this is bad, and everything that we've had to experience. And then I listened to some of the 18 year olds that are leaving the church because they found out that Joseph Smith, you know, didn't translate the gold plates. And so boy, doggone it, they're just really mad at the world. And I'm like, okay, we got to put a little bit of, you know, uh, life, life underneath that (laughs) declaration a little bit. Um, But still anyway, so um, how do I got off on a tangent? What were we talking about? We were talking about, um, oh, the, just being constantly told you're not good enough that you're not perfect, that you, that you need to be better every day. You need, you can be better every day. And so you probably dealt with women who every single, I don't know how often you met with them weekly. You know, they would say, I tried, I woke up every day. I prayed, Heavenly Father, please help me to be a better mother. I don't want to yell at my kids. I don't want to be mad at my husband. And then my, my kid opened up the refrigerator and spilled milk. And then he got, and I I yelled at him, I yelled at him. I'm such a bad person, you know, instead of going, Oh, no, I think everybody would freak out if that happened. But that's the kind of stuff they're repenting and asking Jesus to forgive them for. So, I mean, you must have dealt with that. how, how, How did you help these women to go past normal emotion and then a bad person, you know, making that differentiation? Well, it's interesting
1: because in the church, we're told that we have this countenance You know, that the light of Christ is shining through us and that you can tell Mormon by this glow. Yeah, And it's the reality is there is some sense of innocence there. Mm -hmm. But if you look at somebody who who uses a fear based religion (laughs) to operate from and somebody who has done their actual shadow work. And been courageous enough to go into the dark sides of their, their fears and, and their insecurities and to really understand the messiness of who they are. There's depth Mm -hmm. and there's wisdom. Mm -hmm. There's a difference in their, in their countenance. And so, yes, when I was in the church, I was living in this constant shadow of shame. And I didn't know it because everyone in my world was living in that Same Mm -hmm. shame bubble. And there was this constant hum of anxiety that accompanied me everywhere I went because I just never felt good enough. Mm -hmm. Because I was trying to qualify to live with God again. And this is a very narcissistic, toxic parenting strategy Mm -hmm. (laughs) for Mm -hmm. someone that we uh, refer to as our creator. Uh And so it's an umbrella of narcissistic parenting and uh, operating Um, so yes,
0: and we learn about Christ is a little bit different and it changes things. And I think the difference between women and men is that the way the patriarchal system is set up in the Mormon church is that men are almost immediately kind of told how great they are. And it starts with, um, they're at the age of 12, which is such a significant part in other religions, in both men, little girls' and little boys' life. But in the Mormon church, 12-year-old boys are given priesthood authority. And from so from that point on, they are privileged. They have a, a ritual that they can go through that, in front of the entire congregation that shows the people how great they are. And they begin to wear their uniform—the white shirt, the khakis. Um, That's the uniform of a valiant young man. Hello, they are told the stories of Helaman's warriors. They were all boys that saved. You know, I have a scripture, and I don't know why. Must be Satan. I can never remember it, but it's my. If people, if you know, before people would say, "What's your favorite scripture?" and I'd say, "Oh, it's Alma thirty-two fifty-one, or something like that." And it was, it's the scripture where. uh, uh, I think it was Morianne um, Ancomer beat his handmaiden, and she was so upset that she ran to uh, Tian come and told him that, that what was going to happen because she was really ticked off that he had beat the crap out of her the night before. So she spilled all the beans, and then Moroni gets to go in and save the world because this girl told him exactly what the battle plan was. And I'm like, that's my favorite scripture. That just, you know, <laughs> so that's kind of shows you where I am. Now, there's somebody out there that's going... Oh, yeah, you screwed that one up, right, right, right? All three of those people were not in that scripture, and it's Elma 51, all right? So that they're, all, but whatever, live with that, people. And you're
1: like, it's just not relevant to yeah, me anymore. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if
0: they get you to open up Elma, then I, I'd serve my purpose here. So anyway, but yeah, so, so, you know, at 12, they do this, and at 14, they do this, and at 16, they do this. And so they're constantly told how fabulous they were. And the girls, they're told, someday you'll meet your man. Someday you'll get married and you'll have babies. You're so great. We just love you. If you could just be quiet. Well, and you that's know. and that's your purpose. That's right. your and purpose. We're, we're yeah. taught
1: about Christ. We're taught about a Jesus that mm-hmm. they made up, a Jesus that is submissive, passive, has, carries this false humility that's very forgiving and accommodating and that we as women need to be that Christ. Right. Yes. And when and you study Christ, you realize he was actually a radical insurrectionist. Totally. People forget <laughs> he that. He was not a quiet right. person. Right. He yeah. was nailed on a cross, Not yeah. may, whether or not it was to die for our sins or not. You know, that's that's controversial. But yeah. he was nailed because he was an insurrectionist. Right. And he was not
0: compliant. Right. And he fought against the church. Right. He didn't organize the, the Christian church, by the way. I know that might be hard. For people, that, right. he was Jewish. Okay, let's just make that very clear, you know. So yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So no, that's very that's that's so true. But definite roles, uh, definite worthiness. It even went as far as, uh, uh, like you say, a. It, what's interesting is when it's so subliminal that the men don't even recognize it. Like when the when we a little bit more mouthy women would go to the men and say, "Explain to me." why the Young Men's Youth Organization is going on a rafting trip to the San Juan Islands, uh, and then they're going to be shooting guns, and then they're going to be hunting, and then they're coming back, and that's their youth trip, and the girls are going camping down the road. They're going to learn um, how to knit, how to make a scrapbook, and how to look forward to their temple marriage. Can you explain that You know, separation? And they'll be like, what? No, we don't do, no, what are you talking about? You know, until finally they were like, okay, fine. We'll let you go on a, a trip too, but you have to raise your own money. Ours is going to be funded through Boy Scouts. Which, yeah. Which, by the way, we'd like for you to, but that was before, before they left the Boy Scout Pro. I mean, so many things like that where it was, honestly, they, they didn't get it. I mean, they, you'd go, why is the Boy Scouts of America the only secular um, organization that the church completely finances and supports, and they're like, "What?" But what you're talking about? It's a great program, and I'm like, "But we don't support, you know, the Peace Corps. We don't support Girl Scouts." And we're like, "No, no, no. You you have you have good stuff. I they, I mean, it was almost childlike when you, you saw the innocence in their face when they're like, "I don't I don't understand what the problem is," you know. But anyway, so yeah, so yeah. so that's the thing. I, I love. I love that you, that I mean the rabbit, I'm that's not some weirdo wacko that you know. My I have a cousin, um, a niece that went through that program that was up at, uh, I believe it was Pacific University in uh, Forest Grove, uh, Oregon. Um, they were teaching these programs. They're reteaching kids um, who maybe they didn't go through the crawling phase. They went right from you know, up on their, you know, I have a son and she was exactly the same way where these hyperactive little kids were like, I'm not messing around with this crawling stuff. I'm going to go right into, you know, uh, walking. And there's a stage that kids need to go through. And so that was part of the therapy program. So it's not like some do, 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 you know, thing. It's very recognized in the, in the world of therapy.
1: Did you get, was it received
0: like that though?
1: Um well it does have some elements of you know healing the healing arts and that's kind of hard to regulate. I think the what is similar to Rapid Eye is EMDR. That's yes. more of a clinical model yeah. of the Rapid Eye technology. But yes, it was cutting edge. And I was kind of on the periphery of doctrine where I am practicing things that are not expected of an LDS woman. right? And well, people were coming yeah. in to me for spiritual counsel. Ooh. And I did get called on the carpet quite a few times by the authority of the church that asked me to, to stop doing that. That, but I knew it was something that I wanted to do and I was called to do. And so I, I learned then to kind of push back a little bit. Oh. Um, but was that, it,
0: it wasn't. So was I that left. surprising to you that, I mean, was that kind of maybe the beginning of your awakening was you thought you were just helping people. And then all of a sudden you had men saying, no, 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 you don't, you can't do that. And you were kind of like, what was that a little bit of the beginning? Well, yeah, because I, I had
1: friends, you know, tell my stake president that I was practicing witchcraft. Oh, okay.
0: All right.
1: And to be honest, you know, I've got essential oils. This is that, the 20th century NoTerra, Now yeah. every Mormon's got essential yeah. oils, but yeah. this was before their time. Yeah. And then I had the, we use a fiberglass uh, wand to help access different parts of the brain as you're blinking, that helps you go into the REM state for processing. So it looks, you could see that as a, a wand like a Yeah. I have my manuals to process different stages of your development that look like incantation books. Um, and then I, ha- I use eye patches to cover one part of the eye to access different parts of the brain. So it all had a scientific background to it. But if you were to come in for a session and, and be afraid of what's going on because right. you've been told it's like witchcraft, you right. would identify all of those things as something different, dark and dangerous. Right, right. Wow. And so, yeah, it was It I was kind of living on the edge there. And, and I had to start defending it because intrinsically, like deep down inside, I saw the benefits of it and I saw the good of it. And there was nothing that the church could tell me that would cause me to deny what I was noticing and the shifts I was having in my clients and in myself. Right. Right. Right, and so luckily for me and the leadership roulette, I did have a bishop that stood up for me and said, "I've seen your life improve tremendously, and oh I will back God. you up." I've studied rapid eye oh. to the extent that I understand that it's scientific um, effectiveness, and he says, "Do what you're doing." And so, oh, you were, so but not lucky. when there was many women who were in the same field that they were excommunicated
0: right. or they were asked to quit. That's the part that's so hard. We, we're, was this in Arizona? Um, Utah. Time. Oh, in Utah. Okay. Yeah. Because there is a privilege. And I remember reading an article just not not, not very long, long ago, just like last week. And they were talking about privilege in the LDS church. Like what allows someone like you to do that because you had a good bishop, um, not get excommunicated or, or chastised, um, or, or someone else to be able to say, I believe that there's a mother in heaven, and if I'm going to pray to mother in heaven i'm going to whatever that person can get away with that that person can social put that on social media and say i'm going to live my gospel the way i want to live the gospel and if i don't want to wear my garments i'm not going to wear my garments and i feel good about it and i can i can say yes to everything i'm supposed to say yes to and my bishop loves it and everybody's supportive and and so that paints this picture of a different church than what i grew up in or maybe what you're living with in the middle of indiana Um, with uh, a bishop that has never held any position of authority, and this is the first time he's ever gotten to manage people, and so his authority has gone right to his head, and he's now become ruler of the ward, and he's going to lay down every rule. You know what I mean? That's the other side of the coin that we have to admit. It's like you might be living in a privileged area where you have really good, kind, wonderful men who are in authority, count your many blessings. That's all I have to say. So that's amazing.
1: I think it's because the LDS doctrine is rather
0: loose. It's not even there. it
1: really isn't it it, they they adjust the doctrine to the point that they want to make the behavior they they twist it to get the desired behavior right it's a completely manipulative doctrine people don't really understand what the doctrine is and when it gets ugly because in the social world it no longer fits right and they can say it's not doctrine when clearly it was in times past and so uh, you get a leader who who defines the doctrine whatever way that they choose, and they'll either be extraordinarily rigid or right. they'll be very
0: loose with it, right? And it's it it just depends on the leader, exactly. And you and you end up with, um, like you say, people say, well, it's in it's it's the doctrine of the church, and you'll say, and could you find that for me? Could you look that up? It's like, well, it was in the handbook. I'm like, oh, which which one? Which handbook was that? The first one? The Second one, the third one, the fourth one. So that's not doctrine. Then those were policies that were written that were later changed, you know. And so, but actual doctrine, like what Genesis three, four, it says that. Oh wait, no, you know. But yeah, exactly. Well,
1: those they Interestingly, were you ever given a handbook? Oh no, 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 no. Women are women. The very book that they will be judged by by their leadership. They don't even have access to
0: no. well, most people weren't what the unless you were of the church. yeah, are. even the average lay person didn't have access sure. to it unless you were in one of those positions that had, you know you couldn't look at the handbook unless you were a bishop or one of the counselors and stuff like that. So even the regular people were like, I didn't know that was in the handbook. and and then when they finally had to disclose it because it's the era of the internet and everybody can get their hands on stuff, they're like, okay, fine. Well, everybody look at it now? And now people are going, Oh, excuse me. It says right here in the handbook that, and now they're going, dang it. Now we even have to do that. So it, they're just so frustrated, but so tell me, okay. So you built up quite a little business there. I mean, you had some, you were helping a lot of people and they were primarily LDS people. Is that correct? All of them, okay. all of them. And so when my, I had my little, uh, Faith
1: crash, or should I say, a big faith crash? Because being a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is woven into every choice and decision you make in your life. Right. It it um, claims most of your time, most of your attention, right. and your entire mental bandwidth is woven into the expectations of the church. And in when you're living in Utah, um, everybody you're associated with, your dentist, your insurance salesman, your everybody. I never is, even thought about
0: that. Like your insurance yeah. agent, the guy that's got your car covered is now going, Oh, Wendy, do we need to insure Wendy's car? I don't know. Exactly. I mean, she might start drinking. And so I don't know. Maybe <sighs> we need to drop her as a client. I never even thought about that.
1: Holy yeah. So as a as a teacher of spiritual principles, um, women were coming to me because they craved spiritual development. They oh. craved it. And so long as I had a temple recommend, they felt safe to come to me because oh. they thought I would stay my teachings would stay within the periphery of the gospel. So when I expanded beyond that, I had an option. You know, I, I could either continue teaching with this limitation or I could start teaching these more expanded things that I was learning. Um, but I would risk losing my clientele, so I teetered back and forth, kind of toggled in and out of that for two years before it was so out of integrity for me to try and fit it in that tiny gospel that um I did let people know. I finally made them made a big decision to let people know that I was no longer going to be a member of the
0: church. Wow, and I lost my entire business, wow. and I knew that would happen, yeah, even if people uh then there was the peer pressure. And the and the community pressure of you can't go to her. If you go to her, then we're gonna we're gonna have a discipline council for you. You know, well, well, I
1: wish they would have. Yeah, <laughs> I kind of <laughs> I kinda had fantasies of being called on the carpet and to be questioned by twelve men. And yeah. because I knew the doctrine back and forth, yeah. I taught gospel doctrine for eight years, so I understood the doctrine. And to be able to defend myself actually was kind of. Um, I I would love to have done that, yeah. but. Um, I just needed to get on with my my life. And yeah. so I knew if I came clean that I would lose my clientele. Interestingly enough, I've, it's been seven years since I've left the church. Oh. And a lot of the people that I was teaching are now coming to me because they can wow. now see the difference. And a lot of people who used to make fun of me or uh, warn people of buying my book, oh my God. <laughs> they're now seeking me out for coaching.
0: Wow. So it's
1: it's interesting to see how all of that is playing Playing out, and when people are ready, they leave. Right, um, but women in the healing arts in the LDS Church is a very fascinating thing, and it's not something that's talked about very often because they they'd rather just not talk about it because it it, it it's got its own kind of magic to it because right. the women are starving
0: to be healers. No, and they're not. Wendy, they're in the kitchen making donuts. Right. Waiting for their husbands to for return their from their priesthood thing and teach them the spiritual truths they need to know. That was the last uh, yes. thing I saw from Whoa. President Nelson. It's like waiting, waiting for them to for tell them, me. what else can I do for yes. you, Lord and Master. Yeah. You know what's funny too is if you would if they would, uh, and I I'm not judging because I was just as lazy as everybody else. I didn't even know my own religion. I didn't even. I mean, Mormons are not really taught to study the Old and the New Testament. They're not taught to read the Bible because we believe that it's the only true kind of because it wasn't translated correctly, and Joseph Smith didn't really have time to fix everything that needed to be fixed in there. So you can read a few Psalms or pick out that cute little thing in Ecclesiastics that everybody likes to, but basically don't read it. So I remember when I first read the Old Testament, I remember just going, what? You know, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, God destroyed the women and the children and the entire, because that's where Moses was supposed to go. And I'm like, I don't know how I feel about that. But anyway, but so if you went back in your history and you read about Lucy Smith, Joseph Smith's mother, and how she was an herbalist and how she was a healer and how she was into the magic and the entire, I mean, everything was in that little bubble that milieu that they were living in so that wasn't you know extraordinary or or anything for that for those people at that time but they and then and then so you do that you read your history but then more importantly you watch outlander because that is even more fun but you right. watch you know how she was a doctor but they accused her of being a witch because she had all this knowledge because she was from a different you know uh planet but whatever it's not a different planet different era but anyway so but women have always kind of held on to the healing and the herbs and the way of treating, you know, the poultices and things that they would make, that's always been the on the women to do that. And so I find it so ironic that now when the women are going back to what they've always done with healing arts and herbs and oils and things like that, that the men are still going, witch, burn, you know, that kind of thing. I'm like, wow, we are not progressing at all. This is so yeah. scary.
1: It's very true. I, the last time I had a... I did speak in church. I was asked to speak in a sacrament meeting because we were new to a ward and I got up and said, I'm I'm a teacher in spiritual development and a life coach. And my bishop immediately... came over to my house unannounced and said, Can I speak with you and your husband?
0: No. Oh
1: my God. And yeah, he said, um, I just noticed that you mentioned in your testimony that you are a spiritual counselor. And I just wanted to remind you that uh, you know, in the church that needs to go through the proper line of authority. And I said, Do you mean the priesthood? Oh. And I said, let me tell you something, God has given me a gift yeah. and there's nobody, including you, that's going to define how I'm going to use that in the world. If people come to me and I'm getting downloads for them, I'm just going to tell them and they can completely uh, design their life. They can either take my advice or not. Right. Um, if I, if they want to come and do coaching and work with me, I'm going to leave that up to them in their own authority. Yeah. And my my husband at the time he just like would like a bag of popcorn to sit back and yeah. watch me just totally <laughs> tell this guy, sure bishop come on no over no this is going to be that so- you are not the authority <laughs> in my life and I, and I'm going to do as I've been doing because it it works and I serve sort of people in the way that honors me and honors them yeah and so you'll just have to adjust to that or excommunicate me please excommunicate please. me I would love to go before
0: a court yeah. of men darn it okay well, did that ever happen to have you left have you resigned what is your where's your where are you at I did I resigned um okay. when they had the big campaign
1: against uh, not interviewing children oh okay with Sam and my friend Sam Young yeah uh, really pushed for that to happen and he got excommunicated publicly yeah and I thought that is a good time for me to you know just show show my
0: support and yeah. resign and take my membership away from the church so I, I think did that's that. interesting. I was just, I started to read something this morning and I didn't get a chance to finish it, but there was a discussion going on as to whether it was better to wait and go to a court of some kind or be disciplined or to, re- to resign or why people do one choose, choosing the other. And I remember, you know, my reason for resigning was I didn't want to give that authority or power to someone else. It was like, I am mm-hmm. resigning on my own with my own choices and my own autonomy. And I, I refuse to let you be the person telling me that I can't be a member of this church anymore. And, and I'm always surprised at people that are like, no, I didn't have any plans of leaving the church. I'm just going to constantly talk about how stupid it is and how much I hate it. Um, You know, and I'm going to (laughs) be like, I'm so confused on this. I don't know. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't do that in any other area of my life. I mean, I'm not going to continue to go to McDonald's, and the whole time scream and yell about how bad the food is and, you know, why they can't, you know, put more nutritious food on the menu. But could I have a Big Mac? I mean, to me, it's like, right. if you don't like or just it, or, stop going to McDonald's, <laughs> stop going to it. I don't understand. It's my, that's my own mindset. But I know that there are a lot of people because I've listened to people who even like John Dillon or Bill Real, who they start out thinking that they are going to be the change they're going to be the voice that somebody starts to listen to and then after a while the church goes no you are not listening to you <laughs> go away you know but anyway so it's kind of it's kind of fun to watch actually but so tell me okay so now where where are you at now y- and you did end up getting a divorce but it wasn't because you were in a mixed faith marriage and i love that you explained that because that's such a it's one of the tools that the the church will use to say, Oh, if you leave this church, your marriage will be destroyed. Your family, you will you will be alone. You will be a drug addict. Um, and you will be on the streets of Portland in a tent pretty soon. So, so tell us a little bit about how that worked out.
1: Well, we, um, I had been questioning the church for quite a number of years. They've had a lot of issues on what they call your proverbial shelf. And then finally one thing cracks and everything crumbles down. Uh, my ex-husband, not so much. He just had one episode happen with my girls where, he realized this is bogus, oh. he did a little bit of research and said, oh, I am totally out. Oh. But it happened at, at relatively the same time. Now, again, we got married very young right. with a very short courting experience, and we were never really that compatible, but we did the best that we could raising
0: five kids. Right, right. And so at this Why did point, you only have five, Wendy? What? I mean, come I on. Do. Why did you I only do. have five? You should have had 10. What made you stop <gasps> <I> at five? <laughs>
1: interesting i, I didn't feel guilty about closing the doors <laughs> that's funny but yeah so we had something in common at that point we we both had been wounded in the same church and now we could talk about our deconstruction okay so besides our kids and this deconstruction we didn't have much in common yeah and um so we took about three years and we de- deconstructed together. And then our youngest was graduating from high school. And we we're like, oh, well, I now that it. we know, yeah. have permission to maybe live a different life and to choose again, do we want to do second life together? And oh. so we amicably agreed that we wanted to go find love and oh, wow. we consciously uncoupled. And we're still great friends today. We didn't need to be angry or upset to do any of that or feel guilty. It was right. just felt like a cycle of our life had come to a natural close. And we organically, you know, uncoupled from that. So it was great. healthy for our children. It was right at the perfect time. And yep. so that we're very fortunate. However, right. in that situation, as being raised an LDS woman, I only asked for one year of alimony. Oh,
0: this is common yeah
1: cuz so yeah. my career path well, you was were never thinking a priority. of your husband
0: you were thinking of your husband you don't want to make it hard right. for him cuz that's what we've been taught you know? but uh, unfortunately my career path was never a priority no 18 hello yeah, I don't know no. any other eighteen-year-olds that have their master's degree in anything or job experience. So yeah, <laughs> I know how to raise kids and scrub there toilets. There you go. I always say I have a doctorate. Yeah, everything. I have a master's degree in babies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, but there's no way that
1: my husband would be in the financial position that he is in without my help and my
0: support. Hundred percent. Yeah.
1: And so even you know, many states have different laws, but I thought you know, just so I wouldn't be a burden on him, I'll only ask for one year of alimony, which was not sufficient to get me um, in a position where I would be self-sufficient and come to find out this is a common thing with LDS women. One, their marriage is kind of built on a shaky foundation because it was done too early and too fast. Right. And then when they leave the church, it's almost an organic thing for the marriage to collapse as well, because it was kind of built on false pretense as well. And now she's given the skills to reanalyze her life and reconstruct it in a way that honors her and makes her feel uh, more authentic and empowered. And sometimes that means getting rid of her partner because it can be a situation where it's toxic and disempowering. Right. And so she's now pressed with this, uh, you know, new adventure of, um, of just recreating her life in a way that feels more authentic to her. Right. And so those dreams of going to Juilliard reemerge, you know, but here I am in a 50 year old body yeah. Yeah. <laughs> saying, hmm, what, what else do I want? What do I get to do out of my life? Because it's been dedicated
0: to everyone else but myself. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All of your needs were put down to serve because that's what we were indoctrinated and told and and that's where we got our, you know, uh I love I love if you listened, you know, everybody's always ranting about wanting to have more women speak at conference at church. And for those of you that might be not members of the church, uh, every 6 months the uh, Mormon Church has a general conference where uh talks are given from Salt Lake and then broadcast all over the world and Everybody stays home from church and listens um, to the words of wisdom over the television set or by satellite or whatever. So they always say, well, there was all these men and there weren't any women. And I'm like, thank you. There aren't any women because, you know, because the women are all just um, Stepford wives. I'm sorry to be, to sound so controversial, but they, all they do is quote the men and then they talk about their children because that, you know, validates their purpose. You know, well, my daughter was on her way to medical school and her car broke down and she said a prayer and some fine priesthood leader drove by and we don't know why or how and changed her tire. And then she was able to get to medical school and ace all her classes, you and know, therefore
1: and, the church is true. Yeah,
0: and You sit there and go <laughs> that. What is that? I don't, where does Jesus I don't get you know but it validated her
1: scripted for women all of their speeches are radically scripted right and they're all about her role
0: as a mother and their support of their husbands and all that stuff and like just once I want Russell Nelson to get up and talk about his wife and what she sacrificed to raise those nine children while he was going through medical school and residency and fellowship and training and then being an apostle. And it's like, and you know, it's like, I want somebody to spend 15 minutes telling us about what she did, what her interests were, how she made it possible for him to accomplish all the things that he did. And let's have a whole conference dedicated to sister Oaks before she died and sister Nelson before she died. And all these other wives that stood, you know, that made their husband's Capable of accomplishing the things they were able to accomplish and thanking them for what they did. That's what that's my stand. Well,
1: I, I think that is a, a grand idea. However, if the church were to produce that it would still be extraordinarily fake. Oh, I mean, let's be honest, true. these women. who have supported their husbands in such a calling as that have been absolutely invisible and by themselves and they have been lonely and they have had to deal with, with all these feelings of insufficiency and not being good enough and, and being uh, ashamed of the feelings that they have, because, you know, after all it their privilege to be able to serve a prophet and to serve a general authority. And how, who am I to complain? Yeah. I mean, if we actually knew the feelings of these women, this is what I mean about the shadow side. Exactly. The the empty side of us. If we go and investigate that, we really do have messy feelings about all of that. And that would never never look shiny for the church.
0: No. And they, like you say, it would never be admitted. You'd never read the diary, the personal diary of sister Nelson and have her say, I'm so depressed I can't do this by myself. My kids, you know, it was really hard for me today. I wasn't feeling well, blah blah blah. My husband's always gone. You're never going to hear that over the pulpit, you know. Right. Um and that's that's the that's where the misogyny is almost worse. The women almost are more misogynistic sometimes than the men are because their power and their um their whole persona is from what their husbands are, who their husbands are. I mean, I look at Wendy Nelson and I'm like, um, I first knew you from going to a timeout for women where you were a professor at BYU and I didn't like your speech. It was very, um, elitism, you know, everybody here, you're all the elite because you're here. And you know, that was that kind of a thing. Um, so I, I wasn't, I did not warm up to her really well cause I felt like she was really, you know, producing this elite feeling because they were all BYU. Um, but when, when was the last time you heard Wendy say, um, yeah, I have a, uh, whatever degree in family, you know, whatever. And I, I counseled this many people. I worked as a professor at BYU at such and such a time. And I loved that part of my life. And these, these, are the countries I went and spoke, you know, the women, nothing ever about her, nothing about her anymore. Her whole no, her,
1: language. You know what yeah. she speaks, she's very scripted. She's, <sighs> she has a cadence and a vernacular yeah. of every other LDS woman who is in any position of authority. Yeah, they have. It's like they raise their voice. They do not speak from the womb. No, it's very scripted and they have to support and keep the the narrative. I remember asking my mom, I said, you know, at my funeral. I, I, I hope it will never be said to me that I was just the nicest woman ever. I never complained and never thought about yeah. my own problems. And I just served everybody and made everybody else first. Yeah. I said, that is not my yeah. destiny. I am here to shake shit up. Yeah. I'm here to make a difference. Yeah. I want to yeah. empower women.
0: Right. I don't want to be a model for being becoming invisible. Exactly. I love that you said that because that's exactly what is happening. And it was so funny because uh, John DeLynn had a guest, a couple of guests on a couple of weeks ago. And this lady, she got it. Per- and my husband, she, this is the deal. Because my husband lived kind of a, um, his mom was that person, J- just she lived her role. She only shopped at Deseret Books and occasionally Hallmark. Um, but everything came <laughs> oh, from Deseret awesome. Books. She only read Deseret Books. She she was just the, her, her whole life was Relief Society, uh, sewing, making clothing for her children. That was her entire life, you know. And um, so whenever I do something, he thinks that I'm like a unique. And I'll say, I can't handle this breathy baby talk with the women. He'll be like, what are you talking about i i you always make fun of him like my dear sisters i just love you all so much and he's like you know like i was the only person that thought that you know so th- so this lady that john delan interviewed she did it and she just cracked it right there she got it spot on of of, of how they speak and the they you know they go down and they whisper because that's what we're all supposed to do so when you're loud And a little obnoxious, like we are. (laughs) That's I mean, naturally nobody's going to say that at my funeral. It's going to be because I've already put in the will. I want everybody must dress in leopard, and um, you know, (laughs) there will be yeah, there will be dancing. There will be dancing. Yeah, (laughs) there (laughs) will be karaoke. And you know how you go like the Dolly Parton museum, and they have all the dresses that Dolly's worn. It's going to be like this was my my mom's every Thanksgiving. I don't know how it got started, but for some reason I my son, I think it was my son that first pointed out that every Thanksgiving I had on leopard. I was like, mom, why do you always wear leopard on Thanksgiving? I'm like, I don't know. So now that's our, that's our family tradition is everybody has to come with leopard on. And I, you know, that's, I love traditions that start organically, you know, but, um, so, so I love when the last time I went to an, uh, an event and you were the main speaker, kind of repeat some of the things you said, because I loved, the message that you gave at that Thrive event in Arizona. I just loved just what you told the people who who were struggling with their identity, trying to find a new community because they've left the, the church. And and uh, like I said, I really want people, side note, I want people to stop saying it was really hard to leave my community because to me that would be like saying, you know, I used to belong to this white supremacist organization and they were the nicest people um, and I miss that community, but I've had, you know, I mean, so that's, to me, it's like, stop saying that you miss the community that marginalizes women, marginalizes people of color that, you know, all of these things, cause that is a, a very scary organization to belong to. And, and I, I think it's, but again, I can say that as a woman of privilege because i don 't live in Utah <laughs> and i don 't go I mean you know the the Costco here does not have the Book of Mormon and all the church Deseret books on the counter they don't have food storage in the aisles um, you know my neighbors are not all a member of my ward. My children were grown and gone by the time I decided to leave the church. Most of them have also left the church so i don't have you know i don 't have a son on a mission that my husband is freaking out because what are we going to tell our missionary son? I don't have any of that. I left at a very convenient time in my life. So I definitely am in in a privileged state of leaving the Mormon church. Um, But what was was the main message that you gave that day? Because it was just beautiful.
1: I think it has mostly to do with resilience
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and being able to transform that. I'm looking for my notes on that right now <laughs> okay so it it wasn't until i discovered that i was being deceived by the source that i was conditioned to trust the most that i learned to trust the voice within
0: See, that's, yeah,
1: it wasn't until i lost my superficial community of church friends that i began seeking real lasting authentic relationships Interesting. At that point, I realized that I only need a couple, really few, really authentic, true friends. And the rest were just comrades. Right. So, so long as I believed the same, they were all there to support me. But the minute my beliefs changed, they
0: uh, they scattered. Yeah, they were assigned. They were assigned yeah. to you. Your friends were yeah, assigned Yes, so it was to very you. superficial. Yeah.
1: So it wasn't until I lost the identity that had been given to me through indoctrination that I discovered who I really am. Exactly. It wasn't until I lost relevance with my family and my friends and my children and my clients and my parents for leaving that I stopped trying to please them all and stopped betraying myself. It wasn't until I lost membership in the church that claims to be the one and only true church that I found deeper association with God and all of humanity. Evidently, I needed to be told what to think and what to believe in order to appreciate the privilege and the freedom of thinking for myself. The trick is to transform your pain and your suffering into resilience. Your past life is your curriculum. It's It was done to us exactly. on an unconscious level. Right. And we organized beliefs about ourselves when we were so young. And these are the things that we, as we wake up, we become vitally um, interested in deconstructing all that and reconstructing something that feels authentic to us as adults. Right. So- At that point where everything feels like it's crumbling beneath you, I get that it's vulnerable and it's scary. And that's why I love to capture my clients because they're at that point of reconstructing. Mm. And it really comes down to that point of understanding who are you? What do you want? What resonates with your soul? And in that place, they can start building a life that feels true to them, that will feed them, that will renew them, that will sustain them, not exhaust them. Right, right. And not make them uh, become invisible. So that time is lonely and it's scary. (laughs) But after that life quake and digging to find yourself through the rubble, you can rebirth yourself into a better version of you. A better version because your challenges than you would have ever been had you not had them. So for me, I can't, nobody can convince me that I am a victim of being raised in a toxic religion. Right. That was just my
0: curriculum. Right.
1: And it helped me understand um, the polarity between who I really am and what I want and what was given to me, almost like a a fabricated version of reality. And me unpacking that is what's given me
0: strength and courage. And and I think that's such a good, because everybody can go back. Everybody can do the what if, what if I would have been, you know, raised here, or what if I would have grown up with a mom and a dad that did this, this, and this. Everybody can play that game, but it's not beneficial, and it's not going to get you anywhere, and and it does turn you into a victim. Um, and I always struggle, um, because my youngest child was uh, uh, had a difficult birth, was born with a birth defect, and is now um, you know, quadriplegic spastic cerebral palsy and blind and has many disciplines and or, or uh, disabilities. And, um, and I am, you know, my husband and I are now as caregivers and he's 36 years old and we're 68 and we're both like, you know, crap, is he going to be 40 and we're going to be like 80 and, you know, and who's uh, working. We're, we're really honestly and truly starting to worry because we're getting old. And he's getting old, and and um, I, you know we have fabulous children, which we know will step in and help care for him. But that's not what we want for them. They have children of their own. But uh, regardless, I I always say, well, I loved babies, I loved children, and I only wanted to be a mom. I never had um, any thoughts of having a career of any kind. I just couldn't wait to be a mom. And but then the other day I thought, but you know what? That's because that was. What I was the 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 water again that I was swimming in, I was told that's what I wanted, and I right. do love children, and I did love my my little brother is eight years younger than than and he was mine I mean he was my baby, and I love that I love babies, and i i um I carried them well, I had good pregnancies, I had natural childbirth, I nursed my babies i I mean I just feel like I was built to have babies until I wasn't and then my body t- completely went oh yeah we're not doing that anymore we're just going to make this really bad and um but I look back and I think what if I would have been raised by educated parents who stressed education a mother that had a career um and I would have been raised in an environment that said oh I love children I really want to have 3 you know instead of you know, in, with my personality, because I am like you, I'm a perfectionist. I'm a people pleaser. I was raised, yeah, I was raised by a narcissist. So I was taught that if I perform correctly, I will be accepted. And if I don't, then, you know, so I was like, Oh, you want to have, you want to see a big family? I will show you a big family, you know? And (laughs) so be a winner. (laughs) Yeah. And my husband, one of his favorite mission uh, companions, we went and visited them when, when we were on our honeymoon, which says a lot for our, the romance, but um, we visited his mission president, a couple of his mission companions, and I'm like, this isn't what I had planned, but okay. Anyway, he came from a family of twelve, and we went and visited this woman, and there's all these little children around, and I went, Twelve? I can do twelve, you know. <laughs> and of course, so who knows? I mean, thank I'm honestly, I really think Mother in Heaven was like, This lady is out of her mind. We have got to stop her right now because this is not going to work out well.
1: Give her something difficult, yes, she's on the roll. Yes,
0: stop it. And I, I remember even being pregnant with him and going, oh, I can't do this anymore. This is it. This is going to be our last. And I love this joke. My husband will kill me for telling you this. But I, I said to him, look, here's the deal, dude. I have natural childbirth. I don't even have an episiotomy. I'm popping these babies out like, you know, I could be in a cornfield somewhere. And I said, so... I really think this is our last. I really am getting a strong impression that we're not going to have any more children. Sounds to me like you are going to have to go get something done surgically. He like ran to that handbook because he was in the high council. He ran and got that handbook and was like, flip, 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 flip. flip. I can't. It says right here, I can't. It's not authorized for me to have any kind of sterilization. Not to alter our body. Yes. And I was like, but I can But you can't, I mean, that, I, that was probably the beginning of my shelf building right there. I mean, I was just like, you people are nuts, you know? So, you know, but anyway, it's, it, so I don't, yeah, I, you can't look back on that because I have the best kids and there's none of them that I would go, oh, I wish I wouldn't have had you. You know, they're, they're so, I mean, they are a pain in the neck. Some of them are just, but they are fabulous. And I mean, this is, okay, this is an example of my personality. One of my favorite memories is going to a football game. And number five, our our third son, um, he was a great football player. And so it's the rival, the teams that, you know, this, the city, you know, the East and the West or the rival team, right. And they're playing and we get there and, and we get into the, you know, the, this, the, uh, what are they called? Stadium, you know, we're in the stadium and we're sitting there. The game has barely even started. And my son did something. He, I, I'm, I, I had all these boys that played football, and I still don't understand the stupid game. But anyway, he did something. He got the ball. He got a touchdown or something. And he threw that ball down, and he turned to the, the you know opposing side, and he was just like, "Bring it on," you know. And wow. I was like, "Yes!" And of course, he was kicked out of the game. And I was like, "That's one of my proudest moments." I don't you know so that, That's how my kids grew up. And I was like, homecoming. Oh, let's go get that strapless dress. You look fabulous in that dress. You know, so that's kind of the way I, I was never a good Mormon mother. I, I, uh, you know, I tried, but most of the time I'd be like, this family home evening stuff is really bad. You guys are all going to bed. You're grounded. Don't, you know, (laughs) go to your rooms. That's kind of how our family home evening went, you know? And so anyway, it's, it's my fault. They're all less active. I'll take responsibility for it, but they're all the best humans. They are the best humans. Where are your kids at? As far as activity goes, you've got the five.
1: My oldest is active and my, uh, my,
0: Third daughter, my fourth kid, she is in a mixed faith situation. Oh, her or so she, she's kind of lost, and her husband is still true believing Mormon. She attends, yeah, she okay. she, she supports him, but her beliefs are not all there.
1: <laughs> so, but we we get along great, and as a family, it can get uncomfortable when my eldest comes to visit because she doesn't she doesn't live in the same state, and so it's rare that we see her. Uh, yeah. Um, but we all we all have made it work and yeah. it's we just had them here recently and dad has them for a day mom gets them for a day oh, and so great we really I I am really happy with our family arrangements definitely yeah. not where I thought it would be at this point yeah. I never envisioned myself divorced and out of the church but right. that's where life is
0: and life is messy and gorgeous and it we get to do all of it. <laughs> and you know, that's the thing that's such, that's the the whole dichotomy of the whole church because family is amazing. Family is everything. I mean, we went to, please don't judge me for this, but we went to a Paul Anka concert last night. He came into town in Arizona. He's 80 years old. It was one of the best concerts we've ever been to. He's been married like three, four times. His current wife is like 30 years younger than he is. But you know what? He At the very end, he's singing this song, um, I'll Do It My Way. He's showing pictures of his five girls and his son and his wives and his grandkids. And it's like, that's what it's all about. I mean, he's had such success in the music industry, but that was what was really important. And in our neighborhood where we live, we are fortunate enough, again, because I don't live in the bubble, we live in an area where I think there's one LDS family in the whole entire community. So we have made the best friends with the kindest, most wonderful people who will take you to the airport and bring you soup if you're sick. And, you know, they would, they would do anything, just the whole facade that the church makes out, like everybody else in the world are selfish narcissists and, you know, not true, most fabulous. But, you know, so many people in our community have, they're in their seventies, they have no grandchildren. They are just, please have a baby. I just want at least one grandchild, you know, (laughs) and my heart just breaks for them because it's like, how many grandchildren do you have? And we're like, 14, you know, (laughs) it just blows their mind. So there are so many things that I'm so grateful for that whole teaching of how important the family is, you know, but it also comes with a lot of stuff. So, you know, but anyway, so that's amazing though. And so did your husband ever remarry? Um, no, he's, he's kind of been engaged for quite a while. It's a long
1: distance situation. So he, he has, um, been with his fiance for, you know, for most of the time that we've been divorced. And then I've been having my own weird adventures. I love your dating (laughs) experience. I love that you share your dating and learning myself and getting to understand who I am and,
0: enjoying this part of my life. I I really am. I love that. And I love that you're so um, honest and you're, and you're very, um, like you said, you know who you are and you know what you're looking for. I'm not, and I can just love people for who they
1: are and I don't need them to be anything other. I mean, if my kids could, Tell you the difference between the mom I was when I was deeply entrenched in Mormon theology yeah. and who I am today. I am far more easygoing, loving, accepting,
0: safe, absolutely an entirely different person. Yeah, that's amazing. And so I, I love that they recognize that. I love that they acknowledge that and tell you.
1: You know? Well, it's a start. It really is a stark difference when you're so desperate thinking that you're going to lose your family if you don't dot all the I's and cross all the T's. Yeah, I was still a mom absolutely in love with my family. I was trying to save them. Yeah. Um. But when, yeah. I, when I realized I didn't have to be through through that program right. and that I could really be myself, I really started to be OK with myself and drop the contempt and really kind of um move into my shadow side and shed light on it and say I am a messy human being yeah I'm selfish at times I'm greedy at times I'm lonely at times I'm whiny at times and I get to be all of that and I was afraid if I saw that side of myself that she would just be ugly and unlovable yeah and what I found is that she's beautiful and absolutely lovable
0: and I think the fact that you can say that to your children that's one of the things that I love about the deconstruction is that I can turn to my children and say, "Oh, I screwed up. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry yes. what I made you do. I'm so sorry because it was all a facade that I was putting on to to show that we are this great family and and you know, and my husband, my kind wonderful husband deserved, you know, to have these wonderful children and a supportive wife and and I'm sorry that I did that to you, you know. And they yeah. they are so accepting and, and it helps them to then turn around and go, Oh yeah, I've got a teenager now, mom. I get it. I get, I get what you yeah. were doing. You know, I hope we've broken the cycle. Oh, I no, really, you know I really what do right there. That is the most important thing is the, the generational trauma that I took. And then I laid on my kids and then, but now I can say, I'm so sorry. And they can say, okay, and they talk, my, especially my girls, the way they talk with their kids I never did that. Never had honesty. I know. My kids are
1: more conscientious of their kids' emotions. They're more yes. emotionally available. Yep. They explain things to them.
0: Um, yeah. And accepting t- Completely different parenting yeah. style. Yeah. And I love your daughter that you had at the event. I mean, it was like Clone City. It's like, <laughs> wow. Okay. I've seen kids that look like their parents before, but that is your daughter. No doubt. I well, that, that
1: that's like me if I didn't have all the rules. <laughs> I mean, she's got the gorgeous dreads yes. and beautiful tattoos oh,
0: and yeah. she just represents herself in yeah. a very authentic way. Yeah. Um, Isn't that yeah, the that's... truth? I mean, it's, you do, you do wonder what, what I have done. I mean, there were, <laughs> there were little things, like I said, um, that, you know, I would sneak into dances with a coat on, with maybe an inappropriate dress. So I knew this isn't a surprise to my consciousness that I am who I am, you know, because even when I was, in fact, one time at youth conference, this was a great part about growing up in Illinois, we would actually go to Indiana University for a youth conference and stay in the dorms. And um, so we were uh, up all night meeting in a common area, the boys' dorms over here, the girls' dorms over there. Somebody dared me to go into the boys' dorms. So I'm like, absolutely. Absolutely. So I walk through the door, and I all I did was walk down the hallway and turn around and come back. And as I was coming back, here's the young women's, you know, youth conference leaders, and they're like, "Where have you been?" And I'm like, "I, I, I was just in. I was. I it was a dare." And I. And they're like, mm-hmm. "How long have you been here?" In the boys, I mean, they called my parents. They were going to send me home, <laughs> the whole bit. So it's like I was pushing that envelope a little bit, you know, the whole time. So nobody's surprised. I mean, there's nobody. Nobody. In our old ward that was going, "What Sister Steelman? I can't believe it. I know she, she left was, the I church. Know. I would have never said. Yes. <laughs> she wore black and orange stockings on the Halloween be- Sunday before Halloween. I know, but I didn't think that would lead to apostasy you know? <laughs> so anyway, it's like whatever people, so it is what it is. Well you are a delight and you what you're doing I mean I read your Facebook what you're how you're helping the women and um tell us about where people can find you especially if there is anyone out there listening who is you know still in their bunker hiding out trying to decide how they can come out and and <laughs> see the sun and what you know because there is I, I'm not the type of person that needs a lot of support. I can act independently and kind of be like, whatever, take it, you know. But there are a lot of people that really do need that. That those people standing arm on each arm, going, "We're going to help you do this. We're going to help you walk out of here." So, how? What are what are some of the things that you offer on your social media? Because you're in a couple um, of different Facebook groups, aren't you?
1: Yeah. Well, I am. My Facebook support group is Empowered Former LDS. And that is for people who have left. And so I'm not um, likely to help people who are still in. Okay. Yeah. It really is your individual journey to leave. But once you've decided this is not for me, you do need support. Yeah. (laughs) do need support and there where we are creating a fabulous community who that is not you know not in the angry phase we are actually moving forward my goal is to help teach skills and strategies to help you move forward the things that we were not taught in the church um emotional you know boundaries family dynamics um identity finding your purpose that feels authentic to you um so you can also get my healing questions guide book um on my website that's wendy w-e-n-d-i jensen i went uh that's wendyjensen.com okay and um mostly that is what i do just the coaching and the energy work and helping people find strategies for rebirthing themselves into second life
0: the second life midwife, kind of. <laughs> I love that. So when people go on the Facebook for they've left the church, they're looking for community, they're looking for support. Um, then, then they also besides just the Facebook support, and then I know that there's a lot of people who geographically find each other through the Facebook because the people on that Facebook group are from all over, right? Yes. Not, yeah. Uh huh. So then you can they can help connect uh, because they find you know. They say, "Hey, I'm in. I'm living in, you know, Oklahoma or whatever." And yeah, we do
1: surveys um, and ask where people are from, okay, periodically. Okay. But it is a quickly growing group. The outflux of the of religion in general right now is True. really picking up, and people are starting to take a more authentic spiritual path um, rather than to depend on, you know, specific theologies and religious narratives. And it's just really a big shift going on in the planet. But um, specifically for, for women, I have this to say. Yeah. <laughs> I was taught to be quiet when I had something to say that might not meet the approval of the authorities in my life. I will never again be silenced. I will not be censored because what I have to say matters and what you have to say matters. And the fact that what we have to say is different, that matters too but what matters most is that we are kind. Oh, that's so good. That's so good.
0: You know, so, that is, and I, I love one of the first books I read when I was leaving the church, before I had really delved into the LDS people that have left the church, was Rachel Held Evans and um, Brene Brown, Barbara Brown mm-hmm. Taylor, Sue Monk Kidd, Mm-hmm. These are all women who left fundamental religions that were not LDS. And I think that's so important for people to recognize. This is not just a group of angry LDS women who can't hold the priesthood. Um, that's a whole other thing. It's all women who have been silenced, just like you said, mm-hmm. by the patriarchy of a lot of Christian religions, um, which are not based in truth, they're not based in Christ's teachings they are cre- they are they were created by a patriarchy of men who did not like the power and the strength that they that you can see in women and that was threatening and they they developed this system to put them down and silence them just like you said and it's um i love that that's absolutely beautiful to never ever let anyone silence you again and to just be okay with who you are you don't have a role to play you don't have a personality to be, you. But it, and it's not easy when you've lived a number of decades on the earth uh, to try to find out who you are. You know, we're not 10 any longer. We don't have the opportunities, like you said, to go to school, explore different career paths, um, decide if we want to get married or have children. Those, those are all past lives mm-hmm. that we don't have that opportunity to find ourselves in, but We have the rest of our lives to find ourselves in, and we can spend the next decades um, on that path of discovery. Creating tradition
1: like leopard's leopards time at uh, Thanksgiving. Yes, has
0: nothing to do with the pilgrims or the Native Americans, which we're now finding out is the truth, that none of that had anything to do. Probably more leopard, actually. But anyway, so... (laughs) Well, thank you so much. Where are you? Are you going to be speaking anywhere? Any other events coming up? I don't have anything coming up right now. All right. Well, let's, let's make our own thing. Let's do our, let's do an Arizona thing.
1: Yeah. We do need to have another Arizona thing just for women. I think would be awesome.
0: Yeah, I know. And we need to find an, we need to plan it because I loved, I loved your, and I wasn't able to, there's too many, too many side groups. Like you, you can only choose one, you know, there's like three different classes being offered and you can only go to this one. Um, But there needs to be a an event that's very like what oh, everything you said today uplifting encouraging inspiring we don't need to trauma bond all the time that's part of it but we can't spend a whole afternoon you know just sobbing over our horrible experience in the LDS church you know we acknowledge it and we share and it gives us a, a you know a commonality and stuff but from that point on, we have to start uplifting. And, and so I, I'm looking forward to, let's, uh, let's do it. Let's plan something. We can do it. We don't need authorization from anybody to do it, right? Let's and do what we that's want. Right. Yeah. We'll call it She Became Visible. Wait, what? No, that's a great idea. Actually, it is. Yeah. Okay, I love it. All right. Thanks, Wendy. Thank you. Take care, Renee. Okay. And I just wanted to close with um, one thing that I wanted to let you all know as well is that She Became Visible podcast is now being carried underneath the Mormon discussions umbrella. And I'm so proud of that. Anything uh, by association with Bill Reel, I am so thrilled to be a part of. Mm. Uh, Bill opened up his umbrella and said, "And um, eh, we got enough men out there talking. Let's get some broads in here. And so he put out a call, and and he um, he has now got um, one, two. I think he's got three or four new podcast uh, hostesses. Do we do that anymore? And it's those hostesses and hostesses and actresses and actors are now defunct. But anyway, um, so I she became visible. Podcast can now be found under the Mormon discussions. Uh, uh, umbrella. And also it will be individually. You can find it individually. But Mormon Discussions is a nonprofit. And we do ask for donations because it does take time and energy to put these things forward. And you have pe- wonderful people like Wendy and all my other guests that have taken time out of their day. And we want to support them. And we want to make this something that doesn't stop in a year because everybody's so um, overworked and, and and just exhausted. So in order to keep up and be able to hire the people that we need to make this happen. uh, It takes money. Everything in this world can be, no, anyway, (laughs) never mind. (laughs) So please, you can get on the mormondiscussions.org. You can find my podcast there, and you can also make a donation. So I encourage you to do that. So have a great day. Look in the mirror. Find out who's staring back at you, and let the whole world see that, Woohoo! you have become visible. Bye-bye.